Welcome to the Food Professor Podcast, Season 4, Episode 5. I'm Michael LeBlanc. And I'm the Food Professor, Sylvain Charlebois. Our very special guest on this episode is Ricardo, chef, author, television personality, entrepreneur. Ricardo is all that and much, much more. Uh, appointed to the Order of Canada and the Order of the Nationale de Quebec for his contributions to Canada and Quebec. He sold his business to Sobeys. Uh, we're going to talk about that. He's still producing content at a prodigious level. It's very oh, impressive. Yeah. He's a media a food powerhouse. So that, I bet if I walked through your kitchen, I'd probably find a couple of his cookbooks. Uh, four or five, at least. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. He, he's, I think Chef Ricardo really is, is a good example of, uh, of this, uh, uh, ego less cuisine. Uh, he, he, he has no attitude. I mean, I, I, a lot of people, a lot of chefs out there are, are, are putting on a show. That's not Ricardo. Ricardo actually makes cuisine very accessible, very simple. He's, he's an amazing communicator. Uh, his business along with his wife is, is so successful. He, they have about 200 employees, uh, and, uh, they're just, uh, amazing merchandisers that uh, you walk into a store, you often will find a Ricardo product. And so it's just, it's just been a, an amazing store. So I'm really glad that he accepted our invitation. Yeah. yeah it, it's a great interview and, and we'll get to that a bit later. Now you're on the road right now. Uh, you're, I think in the twin cities, um, where yes. exactly are you and, and what the heck you doing there? I am in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I was actually uh, I'm I'm speaking at uh, at a conference here. It's called Bridges to Food, and it's a great organization out of uh, Europe, and they organize uh, events all over the world. And uh, so they have seminars like 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 this one in uh, Asia, in Europe, and in, in the Americas, as they say. Mm -hmm. And uh, this year, it's actually in Minneapolis. So they invite me over to talk about some of the research that we're doing on, on, on plant-based products. But also, I, I, I am going to be talking about cultured meat, uh, insects. I mean, the whole protein play happening, mm. which is really, I think, very interesting. So I'm, I'm going to be the only Canadian. Um, all of the people that uh, are in the room are, are American uh, executives from different companies. And as you know, Minneapolis is the is is recognized as this food hub along along sure. the Mississippi River. And uh, they uh, so you have Cargill, uh, General Mills. Uh, you also even have Target joining us today. Uh, big grocer. Uh, Target's a big grocer. Big, big it's, 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 I mean, you walk, you walk around town here, there's, there are targets everywhere. Like yeah. it just, yeah. it just feel that downtown is one gigantic target store. Well, it's, it's their, <laughs> it's their home, uh, it's their home city. Uh, and, uh, targets a great organization. And, yeah. and, and you're, and you're a retailer. So you would know that probably the best buy is also, uh, right. located here. That's yeah. right. They're, those are the two big hitters in, uh, so to speak. Uh, in Minneapolis, so I'm I'm uh, well aware of that. Now you just mentioned the mighty Mississippi, and you sent me a note this morning that you went for a run along the Mississippi, and you noticed something. Uh, I guess it's one thing to experience to read about; it. it's another thing to experience it firsthand. It seems like climate change is having some challenges to the food distribution or movement of goods along the Mississippi. Talk about that for a little bit. Well, the the Mississippi is really the backbone of of uh, of. America's ag economy when it comes to to moving grains. I mean, it's it's the cheapest way to move grains on water. And I, I got to tell you, this morning I actually saw spots where uh, there were rocks, and I've seen in the Mississippi 
several times, and I've never seen the Mississippi being so low. Uh, I'll be on, and I've been hearing it in the news, and of course, what what that what that means right now, being in October, is that a lot of companies are looking at putting everything on a truck and move it down the river, and but that's going to add to cost. Sure. Uh, it's going to cost farmers, and it's going to make grains more expensive too, and fertilizers as well. So I, I'm. I, when I saw that this morning, it's 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 at a record low, mm. ever, and you can see it just by looking at it. You know, it's funny. So sometimes we talk about uh, climate change, and it, it, climate change is always a very anodyne word, right? It's just like oh, it's so so simple. But you know, this I, I love I love the story that you told this morning, briefly, and and what you're we're talking about because it actually lends example to what we often say or what you probably say in front of you know when you're talking to the ministers, like climate change matters. It it affects the price in a very material way. It's one of the forces that we need to understand better. And, you know, you saw it. Well, I mean, uh, there's, no, there's no, I mean, there's no denying. I mean, every day you see examples now uh, of climate change being an issue. And so uh, it, it, I know there are uh, cli- climate skeptics out there, but it's, it's, it's becoming harder and harder to remain a skeptic, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's examples every day. And, and the Mississippi River is a gigantic uh, river, a very important component to uh, the ag industry here in America. So, yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a challenge. Uh, a reminder to everybody, uh, changing uh, tact here a little bit, remind everybody you and I will be together, speaking of traveling, at the Coffee Association of Canada's annual conference, November 9th, Run, Don't Walk. I think they're close to selling out, so if you want to go uh, see us and uh, visit and hear some of the thought leaders in the coffee industry. It's a great, it's a great conference, great speakers. Uh, you'll be speaking, but we'll have it. We'll have a little pop-up podcast studio chit and chatting. Uh, yep. So links. Uh, Looking link forward in. to that. We had fun last yeah. year. We had fun last year. We will have, uh, we will have fun again. So that's November 9th uh, coming up in Toronto. Great venue too, the Globe Mail Center, which is a very a beautiful venue. So yeah. Uh, run, run, don't walk. All right, let's tap into the news. The dairy farmers finally read the room. Take mercy <laughs> on Canadians. Report new price. I guess this lets the feds off the hook a little bit about having to manage this file, in other words. Or does it take an initiative they were going to announce? You know, they're, they're saying, hey, dairy commission's not going to raise prices. What, what, what kind of, uh, what, t- first of all, talk about the news and then what's your impression of it? Well, so first of all, it's it's not necessarily news affecting consumers because it's just really a recommendation made by the Dairy Farmers of Canada. But the Dairy Farmers of Canada will rarely suggest a pause and increase. Uh, it will advocate for increases. Uh, so this one, uh, this one announcement really uh, caught me off guard. I was actually expecting them to advocate for more money. Uh, but they're basically telling the CDC, the Canadian Dairy Commission, to halt uh, an increase. And so we'll know uh, the announcement should come out uh, either next week or the following week. Uh, but now, since the Dairy Farmers of Canada are advocating for a pause, there is a good chance that we're actually going to see uh, no increase uh, at Farmgate, which means that uh, we're going to put less pressure on processors. Now, does it mean that we'll actually have access to cheaper cheese and yogurts and milk in Canada? Well, that's up to grocers. That's up to processors, really. Uh, and I guess, uh, so I guess it just means it won't go up, potentially won't increase. Well, it doesn't increase to the back door of the processors, but it, it, it doesn't 
roll it back, right? Well, it's clear. it's food politics, right? They, so they're they're out there saying, you know what, we're doing our part as dairy farmers. So they're basically uh, notifying the rest of the supply chain, do yours. You know, making sure that products remain affordable. That's kind of what's going on right now, right? So that's why these groups are out there showing off, showing to consumers that they're out there helping. By the end of the day, there are no guarantees that prices will actually drop. Let's uh, let's stick with food inflation. We got some good news, which isn't something we talk about, unfortunately, very often with the recent numbers from Stats Canada. What was it, a... Uh, a slowdown in the rate of inflation. Talk about the numbers and what's your impression. Yeah, I mean, basically, I thought it was great news. Uh, a lot of items are actually cheaper now compared to mm-hmm. a month mm-hmm. ago. Uh, and and those products are like t- tomatoes, p- potatoes, uh, um, flour, sh- uh, coffee even uh, is cheaper now. And we were all expecting that. And so those are certainly good news uh, that uh, we should welcome. And Canada still has one of the lowest food inflation rates within the G7 at 5.9%. Only America actually has a lower food inflation rate at 37 I'm not sure you can say that often enough. I, I think, uh, you know, the, 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 the headlines kind of uh, bury the lead, as the journalists would say, that Canada is actually in really good shape. Speaking of which, food inflation, uh, a reminder to everybody, your 2024 uh, report on uh, where you think food prices are going to go. That's early December, right? Was it December? That's yeah, on December seventh. That's December right. December seventh. All right. December seventh. So, yeah. Uh, very good. So that will be always, as always, an interesting report to run. All right. Well, that's uh, food inflation. All right. Well, that's food. The food inflation report uh, for the podcast segment. <laughs> um, let's talk about uh, let's talk about cannabis. So, fifth uh, year anniversary. Yes. You know, by any measure, success. We've moved the majority of cannabis consumption into the legal market, safer tax dollars, jobs. According jobs to Statistics Canada. Sure, which is done. I mean, it, it, the good news is, um, you know, they're pre- they've been pretty uh, creative in how they measure that industry. So let's say maybe plus or minus a few percentage, but it's, you know, it's gone well. On the negative side, and it's a long list, bankruptcies, grifters, dreamers, little global presence, Kushtard is running away from it, letting their investment in fire and flour go up in smoke. Uh, yeah. The federal government, I feel, uh, I think the industry feels too greedy on the excise taxes, which is, you know, not known movement on improvement in edibles could be a whole episode on, you know, the provinces. <laughs> so, okay, five years on, what's what's your assessment about where we are and, and where we can be going in the in the near future in this, uh, in a crop called cannabis? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, it, it's it's not terrible. I mean, uh, it's. I think five years ago, a lot of people were were concerned, uh, you know, about seeing a five year old kid ended up at the hospital and seeing people driving high all over the place and killing people, and uh, so none none of that happened. I mean, some of it may have happened, but it 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 was it was really more of. Uh, of isolated events, so uh, I think overall the implementation of it was good. Uh, my own my my concern from day one has always been on the edible side. I actually do think there were so many restrictions that we do see a much larger black market uh, when uh, when Statistics Canada actually reports on this legal market of seventy percent. Uh, it it doesn't really account for the edible market, which is really. Uh, not exist in Canada compared to the illicit market that we yeah. have. So I, I think there's there's some work to be done here. 
because we're actually reviewing the act right now, mm-hmm. I, I, I do hope that at some point uh, the Cannabis Act will consider a, food pro- uh, a cannabis-infused food product as food and not a drug. And that's really the big key here. Let's move on. So let's talk about, uh, let's talk about glass houses. So uh, our minister, Francois-Philippe Champagne, glass houses, uh, I think he owns the Competition Bureau, endless work on the bread t- fixing file. Eventually, Metro's getting a little frustrated. What's going on? Oh, man. Eight First, years. I mean, when I Eight saw years the in news, the making. Yeah. Right? I, I, when I saw the news... Uh, uh, about Metro uh, going after Loblaw, I, I first I thought, what are they doing? It's been six years. Like where 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 have they been? Uh, but afterwards, of course, uh, since uh, 2017, we've seen uh, Grupo Bimbo come forward, admitting that they were uh, part of this scheme uh, as new owners of Canada Bread. So they did pay a 50 million dollar fine, uh, and of course. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was actually in the same room as Eric Laflesch and Galen Weston. I can tell you they didn't talk to each other like at all. <laughs> now I know why. <laughs> mm. but, but at the end of the day, I actually think that uh, Metro's intent is to make a point. Like, let's, let's, let's end this as soon as possible. This is ridiculous. This investigation has been going on for eight years, and we still don't know what's going to happen with the investigation. Uh, so there's no report. There's been no reports, no press release, mm. nothing. And I think that Metro is just fed up uh, being accused uh, constantly. I mean, it's been eight years that Sobeys has been accused, Giant Tiger, Metro, they're all they've been accused because this one person on December 20th, 2017, decided that all seven companies are guilty. That's, I think that's the biggest problem here. How do you read well, this? Uh, well, I read it that uh, the minister has some work to do in his own house. That's what I read. It. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. uh, next, next well, time he calls. I mean, next, we're saying the know. same thing. Uh, all right. Well, listen, uh, great start to the pod. Let's get to our fantastic interview. Such a great interview uh, with Ricardo, Chef Ricardo, uh, recorded live from his uh, home slash studio uh, in Chambly, Montreal, Quebec. Well, Chef Ricardo, welcome to the Food Professor podcast. How are you doing this morning? It's super well. It's beautiful. Time is on our side. Well, thank you so much for uh, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Where are we finding you this morning? Well, right now I'm in uh, in my basement in my men caves where I have <laughs> and and stuff where I can you know create whatever yeah. I need to work and uh, that nobody bothers me. It's the place where no one wants to come in the house. So this is my place. <laughs> no, Under now, is that in in uh, in the Bahamas in Montreal? No, I'm in Chambly right now. I live okay. like in different places, but yeah. I'm in Chambly right now. And mm-hmm. this house is kind of where we taped the show for over 21 mm. years. Okay. And this house has four kitchens for different purposes. Mm. And uh, and uh, so it's the first four one. kitchens. Oh my we goodness! Have four kitchens in this house. But I live also part in uh, in Gaspésie, in Percé, and a bit in Florida also. Uh, well, listen, uh, you've had an amazing career uh, in the culinary industry, and uh, we want to learn more about it. Uh, what, what's your recipe for success, so to speak? How did you How did you get your start? Let's Let's go back to your origin story a little bit, and um, maybe take us through some critical milestones yeah. in a, in a long career and and a successful career. Um, I've been a lucky guy, and I think that 
luck has a lot of of doing in the success of someone. Then the big difference is sometimes chances appears in front of you and some will jump on it, see mm. it or mm. try it. And some will fear or won't see it. I've been lucky enough to see these moments and I've grabbed them sometimes without knowing where it was going to lead. I'd say, well, to make a long story short, I've studied in hotel management in Montreal at ETHQ. It's, it's, probably one of the best, the finest uh, management cooking school in the country. And I hated it, but <laughs> I loved the food bar. No, no, but I hate, I hated the hate is a big word, but I didn't like, or didn't see myself in being in an office managing whatever it would be. Mm. But we had mandatory classes in wine, in bar, in food, in pastry, in That really, like, I thought it was so cool because all of a sudden, the the white sauce my mom was making to create, I don't know, vol au vin, all of a sudden, it had a name. It was called Bechamel, and it was a count from friends behind it. And there was mm. all these stories about food and the names, where it was from. Is it from England? Is it from the States? Is it from France? It was great to me. So I went back to school in Ottawa in broadcasting. And when I finalized my classes, I, I became a really, really good friend with, which, with a guy that is still one of my best friends. He was a Francescois, so a French-speaking guy from Saskatchewan. And he said, hey, you should come over. You know, like there's an opening at, mm. at CBC and uh, you should apply. I did. And I moved out west for almost two years. And I was very bad at what I was doing because they hired me. <laughs> and I was like with the satellites, taping the feeds from Montreal and Toronto, mm. making sure they were on there on the proper time in Regina or in Vancouver. And I missed the spot so many times. So one morning, the boss said, Ricardo, I have to admit, I'm almost, you know, due to my retirement and you're probably the worst employee I hired in my old career. <laughs> and, uh, but there's a funny part about you. Everyone loves you. Everyone says mm. you, your cooking is fantastic and you have more friends in Saskatchewan in six months than people born and raised there. What do you want to do for a living? I mean, I mm. can't figure that you won't, you will do this for the rest of your you life. You're getting a lot of love and friendship with your food yeah. already. Well, I mean, You're moving to a new province. You want to make a new life. I didn't, at that point, maybe I was not going to move back, you know, east. It, it, I mean, when I'm moving somewhere, I'm dedicated to this. I forget from where I am. I was now like a Saskatchewaner. I was happy there. That was my life and that was it. And he said, when he said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I'd love to host something. I've studied mm. in hotel in in broadcasting and right now I'm on the technical side. I love it, but I'm not good at it because it's not the dream I have. He says, if you resign and I give you something to host, would you, you know, accept it? So I said, of course. So I went from a $34,000 a year plus whatever it comes with it to $150 a week. And mm -hmm. and I said, yes. Yeah. And it changed my life. And at the end wow. of the deal, I said, But what am I going to host? Hmm. He says, well, anyone, everyone loves your food. Talk about food. Monday, you start. And that was it. It <laughs> changed my life. Well, Because I, I said yes, it changed yeah. my life all of a sudden. So in Saskatchewan, I became yeah. a happy man, a man with a purpose in life, uh, a job he liked, friends, yeah. 
and uh, I, I I am from the Maritimes, from uh, Gaspésie. So to me, in the in, in the plains, there's something that is similar to living by the ocean. You have to have it. I always thought people lived in the plains or by the ocean needed a special kind of strength to be able to face it. I mean, infinity every day, mm. but this openness to mm. me is like a new canvas every day. The light is different. The, the, the air is different. The colors are different. And mm. I loved every minute in Saskatchewan. Did you always want to be a chef? Did you want to be in media? Like what, what got, well, I, what took you, what you, what set your feet on that first path? Like many families in, in Quebec. Well, my, I'm the last generation of these. Mm. I had like, about 18 uncles and aunts, over 100, 15 first generation, but over 100 and something cousins. I mean, we were not a family. We were a disease and we have spread, you know? And, uh, and uh, so, so food was always part of this. We were mm. dancing at funerals, at weddings, at every, there was always food and fun and cousins and uncles and, and aunts. And my mother was a hairdresser. So I've been, hugged and kissed and by all these clients. And so when I was a kid, to me, food was everything. When my father was uh, napping in the afternoon and, uh, well, what do you think I was doing? I was cooking. I was trying <laughs> things. At four or five, I was creating recipes that were awful, but my mom loved. And uh, it kind of gave me a, a sense of being good in something. Because mm -hmm. when I was a kid, I had no self-esteem. And... Uh, and food gave me that. And this is why giving chances to kids in school to be able to learn how to cook. And I do this through different charities. Mm -hmm. And it, it, I can say to these kids, look how your cookie was fantastic or your pancakes or whatever you did. It's impossible that you're good on eating one thing. It's my job as an adult to prove to you that you're a fantastic human being and you can change the world if you want a recipe at a time. So my passion is food, but mm. I've been more interested into changing lives of people because of food. Mm. So I, I have a question about um, the profession and the question, you know, we talk to a lot of chefs, Michelin star chefs uh, and people in the industry and, and we're very curious about uh, the state of education and preparedness and, and um, the environment for chefs coming up. And, and, you know, on the one hand, it feels like, you know, with uh, all of the televised showcase stuff that goes mm -hmm. on with the chef, you know, the big wars of chefs, that, that chefing has been made into something that it may not exactly be. If you were to start a chef school, what would you teach? You mentioned you know, you were kind of bored about the facts and numbers. Some chefs tell us they wish they learned that more. But it, it, do you think that the profession is on the right path? Well, there's always kind of a, it, it, it comes and goes. It's like a, a balance. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes you're going to one excess and coming back in the middle. I think we are on the right path for different reasons. First, it's the acknowledgement of something that has a lot of beauty as, you know, way of to, to earn your life. Uh, you're not just a cook because you can't do anything else or you're waiting. You're, you're a cook because you love to feed people. You love to make sure people are eating together. Mm. I, I love to call myself a cook. Yes, a chef, but, but 
to be just someone that will feed his family and friends and people, that is already something unique and so, so important in life. Mm -hmm. Then if you want to make a business out of it, I'd say that the new, the new way of cooking in restaurants is way better than what we had before. Why? Mm -hmm. Because there's less aggressivity. People mm -hmm. are more into like listening to what's mm -hmm. going on in the kitchen. Uh, we've seen, you know, with Ellie Confidential and all that, like, it's not about screaming and being this mean chef that has authority and all of a sudden it, it doesn't make you better. It makes you worse mm -hmm. because if you want to have the best of your team, well, you need to respect them and love them for what they are in their in everything they are. And, and that is changing. I rarely see now, like, except if you're working with idiots, people that are screaming mm -hmm. on their staff. Mm -hmm. If they do, you should run and work for But someone. That's, that's very true. I mean, uh, Ricardo's uh, cuisine is, uh, there's no ego. There's no. just no mm -hmm. ego. And mm -hmm. it's so accessible. So I absolutely agree with your, uh, with your assessment. I, I, if it was deliberate, uh, it worked. <laughs> we have exactly. like three, four, we have three, four of your books uh, in our own kitchen here and our kids use your books all the time. So accessible, so easy. Uh, it makes, it, it makes cooking, uh, just so easy. I mean, it's just, uh, that's really what uh, the Ricardo cuisine is all about. Because you have to remember, it's not when you are cooking for yourself or your family, or friends, you're not opening a business. Mm. You're feeding people you care for. Mm -hmm. And and, and, mo and most like, chefs will not yeah. open a business. I mean, by the percentage of chefs, prep cooks or whatever, and most chefs will not run a business. They will no, be no, and you have chef. to know that that's one of the things. You have to know your place. Mm -hmm. And soon enough in my career, I realized that I preferred to be an employee than the boss. Mm -hmm. My wife was better at being the boss. People joke about that because I said, well, all my life, I would have been behind her, even though people think she's, uh, she's behind me. But the thing is, when I remember about, I was probably 12 or 13, and my neighbor wanted me to babysit the kids. And my mother said, well, I have a daughter too. She says, no, 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 we'd like your son because we heard he's cooking in the backyard. I was already barbecuing with my friends and stuff. And he said, we'd like to show a different vision of, of uh, cooking in the family mm -hmm. to our kids. So we'd like your son to come. So I was, you know, going to babysit from time to time and cooking for them. And once I said to the, the gentleman, I said, I just love your life. I mean, you have a, a great family and a wife and your house and, and, and you're, you're the boss of this. He says, it doesn't matter, Ricardo, to be the boss or the employee. You'll be unhappy in either case scenario <laughs> if you're not at the right place. Mm. Know what you want. And I realized that there's nothing more uh, securing than having a boss that knows where we're going. So mm -hmm. if you are a natural leader and you know where you want to go, people will follow. Otherwise, you can be a fantastic trooper like myself. Mm -hmm. I will mm -hmm. run things if I have to. But I put people in charge around me that are more, um, I'd say, suited for the job than myself. And when I know that I've placed around myself very strong and secure 
people, then I can be who I am and create and be crazy and, and, and creative and do what, and then I'm happy. And that's so important. So in that school, to go back to your question, I would say to these kids, mm-hmm. you have to know what is your inner desire, not to what to do. Do you want to run? Do you want to be a, you know, what do you want to be in this life? And then everything will position itself and in itself. And it's going to be a nice ride to go. And, um, and since I'm back from Saskatchewan, I have a lot of fun and I met mm-hmm. a lot of people and I'm, and, and all of a sudden I became someone with, you know, a purpose. And, and yeah. I did the same thing with my wife and my kids. I have three daughters, 25, 23 and, and barely nine, 20 now. Yeah. And, I don't know if I'll achieve that, but if I can prove to them that they are fantastic and they are willing to do whatever they want, and that has no, it doesn't matter if you want to be a hairdresser like my mom or an astronaut. To me, I mean, both are equal if you're happy in what you do. Uh, a few week, a few years ago, you decided to sell your business to Sobase. Uh, we're just curious, how is that coming along? Well, it was not planned. And I remember when my kid, my oldest daughter, which is working with us now, she was probably 12 or 13. And she said, if you ever sell the company, dad, I will kill myself. (laughs) Okay. That's strong of a, you know, of a line. And, but you know, at the end, when that happened, many companies wanted to buy us over the years. And never really it occurred to me to even think seriously about it until the Sobies appeared in the Raider. Why? Because a local family from the Maritimes. Yep. Uh, Settleton, Nova Scotia. Very, very, I'd say, downrooted, you know, with who they are. Uh, no attitude, no, like, like just a standard family, even though they're billionaires. And that I liked because I said, we want to go to the top, but as in a family, you won't go far or you will go alone if you're not walking at the pace of the slowest in your family. And, and, and the Sobe group to me, it's, it's like a multitude of business like mine. So, and when you go to a, any, like, I'd say an IGA in Quebec, it's about two, 150, 200 employees. It looks like mine. So they have the same issues with transferring the knowledge, keeping, you know, their employee happy, battling, you know, with the economy and all that. And so to me, I'm, I'm never working with this huge group. I'm working with families. And I said to my daughter, before you do anything rash, just see that I could see in my lifetime my dream to be a thriving Canadian business from coast to coast. Because forever, chefs, even very popular chefs in uh, on Food Network or any network, are only popular in their region. And I said, I'd like to be this guy who could be, over his lifetime, present from Victoria Island to uh, Newfoundland and and be able to travel and go there and discover who we are from coast to coast and try to to bring this I'd say very specific energy we have in the country where it comes to food and and family and and I said if we work all together even like my company we're 200 yes but 
some have talent to run a business of a, a thousand employees or more. Mm-hmm. So I said to my group and my kids, if we do this right, and, uh, it, and it will be done properly, everyone will have a chance to go up to their dreams. And I said to my daughter, maybe your dream eventually won't be to run 200. Maybe you will want to run Sobeys. And that's possible. And, and it's up to you. And you can make a change in the food business in Canada. Make it more local. Make it more accessible. You will be this generation that will learn as three, four other generations of Sobeys did before. And as my family started the business, anyway, all that together, it really kind of gave us a boost of energy to to kind of make it even stronger. And I said, now that your job will be to take mine eventually, Beatrice, your job is not only to create recipes or nice books, your job is to save and create jobs. So all these families that are working for us, with us, will be able to have their own family and buy a house and go on vacation and send their kids wherever they need to go to be wherever they want to be. And that changed everything in not only my family vision, but in our group. Mm. Your your brand is very strong. I mean, uh, and you get praise for uh, your commitment to healthy eating but you're also, I mean, you want to treat people well. You want to indulge a little bit. So how do you, how do you balance both when in your cooking philosophy as an entrepreneur, as a chef, Chef I married, I married a nutritionist. Eh? <laughs> so, she keeps you honest. Well, we had we had years of adaptation to each other's, and because I could eat only cakes and dessert and pastry, and of course she introduced vegetables and tofu in my life, <laughs> and and it's the balance of all that. You know, it's the balance. Sometimes you, you feel like I want to have that piece of pie. Why would you feel guilty? And it's funny because sometimes I'm having you know a, a burger and a poutine, and people will look at me and says. You're having that? I says, why shouldn't I? If it's the way I feed myself or my family every day, of course I have a problem. But there's nothing better than a good burger or, a, you know, butter and a corn when it's in season and it's fun and it's there. But it's it, it's to be, to vary our eating that is good and to be, I'd say, faithful to where you live. I ate differently in Saskatchewan than I eat here. Or when I'm in Gaspésie, I eat, you know, somehow differently also because uh, because it's the way it should be. I always say Canada is a, a country of butter. So unless I'm cooking Italian or something around the Mediterranean Sea, yes, I will oil, use olive oil. Otherwise, we are a butter country like more, I'd say, the vast majority of northern country or canola oil because this is what we produce and we've created in the country. So I, I always try to remember this and teach it through either a show, a book, or my kids or the employees. And And, and I'd say that even for your own economy, it's better because – if you buy local stuff, the taxes, even though local could be far away from sometimes, you know, I, I live closer to Vermont than uh, than Toronto. But if I buy something from Toronto instead of Vermont, all these taxes will go back to our system and will mm-hmm. will will yeah, and we will gain as a country uh, because we have uh, social values that are similar from a province to another. So. Each time you eat, you vote, and each time you buy an, an ingredients, you kind of make a statement, and and the grocery will follow that path because they're there to sell food. 
Mm-hmm. Interesting. Let's let's talk about your creative process around the content that you create, mm-hmm. cooking shows or your or your recipe books, and 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 how wide your aperture is, so to speak, for new products. For example, would you would you create a cookbook of cultivated meat? You know, this lab grown meat idea. Like, do you do you do you look at trends and say, hmm, I wonder if there's I wonder if there's content I can create from that. Just just yeah. walk us through for a minute your your process and how you. How you do what you do, I guess. I'm not the guy who wants to create a trend necessarily. I prefer to be helpful. So quite often I will kind of monitor trends and see, mm-hmm. okay, it's like six months, it's a year, it's there. And if I see that that's trend, that trend is there mm-hmm. kind of to stay at least, you know, more than another six months, then it interests me to work in that path and to, when I'll, I'll go back to the tofu and the uh, legumes example mm-hmm. when we started to hear about you know like all the environmental uh, issues and all that and that i realized that we are you know producing 95 percent of legumes and and in, in, in the world and it's, just, it's funny that we don't eat more uh, of these great you know things mm-hmm. that are full of vitamins and, and, and proteins and all that. And it's grown in harvest here. So I, I started to add that more into my, I'd say daily shows or, or into the food. I don't want to make something unique and specific about it. Hmm. I prefer to take a trend that I feel that we would gain from and introduce it slowly very, you know, like without people noticing it. And eventually it's just part of our diet. Mm. When I started and I made the first time I made the um, general Tao, tofu general Tao. Mm -hmm. Well, we went out of tofu in Quebec for a couple of months because all of a sudden people tried it and they realized, boom, it's true. It's good. And I can mix two proteins. I can do half, you know, tofu, half chicken. I will cut on, you know, on the price and I will have more uh, proteins. And there's a lot of, you know, just positive, you know, things about a thing like that. Same thing when I created like uh, tacos. But if you just shred so very finely your, your tofu and grill it, it will be crispy. Mix it with half the meat. And all of a sudden, you're changing, you know, the way you're eating. It's more vegetables and, and more like less meat. But at the same time, you will have the flavor. My goal is not to be a vegetarian. It's to kind of follow this line where if we try to change everything at the same time, it won't happen. And we will lose some people in this, you know, thing. But mm-hmm. if it's there with fun, entertainment, flavor and taste and of course you will have the healthy part there and the local part there all of a sudden everyone will kind of embrace this and um, and many will kind of create recipes i've seen so many places where i knew these recipes were from my my books or my magazine i've seen them in restaurants and mm. many told me you know like of course we take your recipes and adapt them for the restaurants or things and i'm always proud of that i says well because we are six in the kitchen and we were very good because i have created over the years uh, a way of creating a recipe it's not only about the ingredients it's also about how it looks i want when you look at one of my recipes because I have very specific points they have to respect when we create a recipe, even in, in measurements. I will never mix together, I'd say, uh, one-third of this, three-quarters of that, and and uh, three-quarters. It looks complicated. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like even the measurements have to fit and be there. It's and then we're six, seven people walk, working on each recipes. So the recipe I'll start, I won't finish it. The beauty of this is, let's say I'm doing a sticky toffee pudding. Well, I'm doing it. I'm satisfied. I wrote the first version. I'm going to give it to you, Sylvain. And then you try it again, and, and you have notes. You said 15 minutes where it took me 20, and you said a quarter cup where I needed half one. All these notes will go back then to Michael that will take it back. And and at the end, we have something that works and is foolproof. And then we have someone that will just take care of the French or just take care of the English. And we have specific words. Do you want to bring to a boil or what is the word you are going to use? So when we hire someone, it takes at least a year, year and a half before they become Ricardo's, you know, Afinetto's <laughs> that knows how to write and create the recipes. And it's tough to, it's like writing songs. You can write a couple and they're very good. But to be a Paul McCartney, to be able to be and write songs that are as good 30, 40 years later, that's another type of of talent. And Mm -hmm. I always say to my teams, when you see other companies trying to either copy or do things, we are not sprinters. We are doing a marathon. Mm-hmm. Don't lose your energy on looking at other stuff. Be aware, but we're just running in our direction, not the directions of others. And you'll see people will come and go. And you want to be there in 20, in 30, in 40 years. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be me. It's not going to be them. It's going to be the next generation who's going to run. But in, if you keep this vision that my grandmother had, then I think you could be there for a long time. Last question for me, and then I'll pass the mic to Sylvana, bring us home for the balance of the interview. Uh, what's next? Well, the next is, it's, it's the, I'd say the most complicated and beautiful part is to make sure everyone find his place. Make sure that this dream we have to be something strong from coast to coast, because to be there is one thing. But as I said, it's not to be there. You want to be part of something. And, and that will take the rest of my life. And uh, I'll, I just hope I'll be, you know, this eventually a spectator where I'm looking at my team and this is, wow, I love what you just did. Or I'll, I'll be, you know, like next week I'm in Toronto to work and uh, you go to a grocery store and you see the marinade that you have created, you know, with, uh, you know, a piece of veal that is local also. And you have this sense of pride. But that is a, a never-ending process. If you think you're there, you will lose it. It's it, humility. Start over again. You make your mistakes. When I go to grocery stores or I buy stuff, it's just to make sure that I haven't lost it or that we, we stay close. So it's easy to buy everything you want downtown Montreal or Toronto. But the real fest to me is to go to any other smaller cities in the country and to go to a grocery store and look at the dairies, look at the meat, look at the fish, look at the, what do they have? What do they have on end to cook? So sometimes I come back to my, my kitchen and I say, Hey guys, we lost it. I mean, we have to, you know, go like a bit more like a relax on that spice of that thing because it's impossible to find. So then it, it, we and, and encourage everyone to, when they travel the country, look at all the grocery stores. We have to be close. We're not restaurants. We're there to help people when they're coming back home. They're tired. They have a, you know, sometimes money issue, time issue. 
these are the people we want to work for and we have to have answers and and just being staying like on the ground and, and doing this i think it's as long as we'll do this i think the business could be thriving mm. uh, since you're on our show uh, i want to ask you one specific yet very simple question uh, do you have a personal cooking tip you can share with our audience uh when cooking at home anything at all what would you suggest you know what? it's not a tip on how to cook i would say it's more an advice when you have friends over you're, you're serving something on your table don't excuse yourself i mean i see this all over all the time oh sorry i i forgot this or it's a bit overcooked or i should have done this Don't complain. Don't explain. It's like the queen because you took, <laughs> you took your time. You took your time, money, effort. People who are coming to your place are happy you're feeding them. I mean, if they're not happy, maybe they don't deserve to be at your table. I mean, it's really, to me, it's like it's people are way better than they think. If you put half the time in your kitchen that people put in their own job, eight hours a day, imagine everyone would be a chef, of course. And the other thing is like, let's say it's far, but it's close at the same time. The, the holidays will come. You know what? I will make the same menu for everyone. And I will keep for the end, the most important person to me. So if it's uh, uh, your grandmother, that is the most important to you. Well, then cook this same dish, the same meal four or five times to everyone else you will have over the, the, the Christmas holiday. And at the end, you'll be just fantastic because you know exactly how long it took. You know, if you had enough, if you had too much you, and, and if you were doing this with your partner in life, well, everyone knows it's like a ballet, you know, who's doing what. And all of a sudden the, the, the meal goes so smoothly. People don't even realize like, All that work has been done because you knew we put a lot of pressure on ourselves where the pressure shouldn't be there. It's a moment to share, you know, and always. And I wrote in, in our restaurants, eat together the best suits you well. And, and we have to remember this to ourselves, the best suits as well. And we deserve this because we worked for it and we're not there to complain. We're there to appreciate this hamburger or this steak or this whatever we have it's not about the money it's about being together mm -hmm. that's great uh what a joy to have you on our show uh, chef ricardo thank you so much for your time uh, uh it's just been great I, i've been following your career for a very long time and uh i have the utmost respect for you uh your wife your business well uh, it's been great compliment because everyone is in the business kind of We're always intrigued and see what is going to survey right in the paper next time. <laughs> it makes, you know, big things. I mean, sometimes you write something in the paper and the next uh, meeting we have, well, all of a sudden it's, we're discussing about this being totally in agreement. Sometimes uh, asking ourselves some questions. Why did he see it that way? So we need people that will bounce things and force you know, us to kind of position ourselves towards different subjects. So mm -hmm. I could return to compliment to you, Sylvain. <laughs> thank you, uh, Chef Ricardo. Again, thank you so much for your time and, and best of luck to you. Thanks. See, see you next time, guys. Take care. You know, last week we were talking about uh, that you were going to testify uh, in Halifax to the Finance Committee, but uh, that was delayed, I, I understand, yes? 
I get a so on Wednesday night before the testimony, I get a phone call from the clerk asking me if I wanted to testify in Ottawa uh, instead. And I said, well, no, no, I'm fine. Halifax is great. Well, in Halifax, there, there's no video conferencing, and it's not. It wasn't going to be recorded. And I said, "Oh, because I, I never. I've testified many times, but I've never testified outside of Ottawa. This was this was the first time outside of Ottawa. And when I was told that uh, that it wasn't recorded, I said, "Well, yeah, I'll, I'll go to Ottawa, and I can. I, I I was able to physically go to Ottawa, so I'm actually hopping on a plane." Uh, tonight I'm flying into Ottawa in the evening and I'm doing my thing tomorrow. And along with, uh, with me, uh, I'll have Jim Stanford, uh, the economist from, uh, the, um, center for future work, uh, mm-hmm. joining me as well on the panel. So, but I don't think he'll actually be there. I think it'll be uh, at, in Vancouver. It's uh, great to have dialogue from all angles, right? Uh, so hear from all exactly. kinds of voices. That's all the, kinds it's of democracy. Right? Yes, that's right. It, uh, if we only heard one voice, that would, would make not for a fulsome discussion of these very, very important issues to Canadians. Exactly. So, You're here. Uh, now, one question about that. You, you mentioned a couple of times, and I had a couple of people ask me what it was, and I couldn't really give them a good explanation. The SNAP program. Is that like yes. a... It's one of your recommendations. It's not like a food stamp. Spend a minute or two on what the SNAP program is or what your recommendation is in this regard. So my recommendation won't be to replicate what's going on in the U.S. with the SNAP program. I'm using the SNAP model as an example of some of the things that we can do. And they are SNAP-esque program uh, in existence in Canada already. Uh, What is SNAP? What is SNAP? Even basically, what, what are you talking about? So uh, SNAP is a means supplemental nutrition assistance program. It can actually take many different forms. In Canada, we actually have some SNAP programs linked to farmers markets. In Nova Scotia, in Montreal, and in BC, uh, they are farmers markets giving gift certificates to people in need. Now, when a merchant actually receives a gift certificate from a person, the merchant doesn't know why that person has a gift certificate. It's very discreet. Uh, but it gets people to farmers markets and it gets people to spend money only at farmers markets buying local food, fresh food and good food. And so my recommendation in Parliament will be to uh, nationalize a program like that to support farmers and to help people in need as well. And it's really a cheap way to do it. You don't need the administration that you see with the SNAP program in the U.S. because the SNAP program in the U.S. is super Super administrative and expensive. Uh, all, the only with with Montreal, for example, with Jean Talon, they actually got a gift for fifty thousand dollars from the Jardin to support the program. You don't really need a whole lot. All you need is our our, our NGOs supporting people who actually need the money. There's a great article in the New York Times about uh, researchers using CRISPR, the technology, to uh, it, try and eliminate bird flu in chickens. Uh, bird flu is still a big deal where you are, right? Oh, absolutely. Big deal. And so CRISPR is a wonderful technology. And of course, a lot of people are, are up in arms. Uh, if, you, if you're a biologist and you believe in the laws of nature, you would be against CRISPR. But mm. CRISPR can actually do wonders in animal science and plant science as well. Because uh, it's, it's about rewiring genes uh, to allow animals and plants to fight certain diseases. 
Um, and, and, and that's how you can actually make agriculture more sustainable. Uh, some people don't agree with that, but I actually am a big fan of CRISPR and, uh, and I encourage people to look into it. You're, um, you know, very relevant to where you are and what you're doing today. There's an article talking about, uh, actually in the, in the national post about plant-based meat industry It's from the financial times needing to rebrand itself as a healthy option. You know, when I talk about plant-based to a lot of people, the first thing they say is, you know, it's worse for you. Like when you, you look at some of the ingredient decks, it's too much processing. It's too much. I feel like, ironically, some parts of the plant-based industry have got a bad reputation for processing the plant-based food, uh, and they feel like they need a rebranding. Would you, would you agree? And what are you hearing uh, at that conference today? I absolutely agree, and I actually am going to say that. I think that we need to uh, work on the uh, lexicon of the industry. Uh, whether we're using plant-based or uh, vegetable protein, I think we really need to think hard about uh, how we position uh, these products, how we, uh, how we sell them, and, uh, and how we present the value proposition overall. Uh, we've implied that plant-based is more nutritious, but we all saw what happened with the Beyond Meat invasion. I mean, time and time again, some groups were saying that these products are not as healthy. Uh, right. They're ultra-processed. And, uh, and it shows in our data. I mean, a lot of people do think that these products are not as healthy. And that's a problem. No. And it's a problem that – and I think that lexicon, the language around the category mm. needs to be reworked a little bit. The skeptic in me feels like the traditional competitive industry of meat-based – farmers uh fostered this notion of high processing and plant-based or am i am i being well, too of course they did cynical? no of course they did you're absolutely right and 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 when you talk to a cattle rancher and i'm going to say that today uh, when you talk to a cattle rancher they actually firmly believe that their product is plant-based right because you know their cows are eating they plants. eat plants well, listen, uh, you've got a busy day ahead. You got a flight, you got testimony, you lead an interesting, busy life. Uh, I'm here at home in the home studio. Uh, looking forward to seeing you. Looking <laughs> oh, forward to I mean, being listen, together very soon. Once in a while, actually, I talk to you uh, when you're under palm trees. So can you give me, like, I'm in beautiful, exotic <laughs> Minneapolis. Come on. I've never been to Minneapolis. So uh, I, you got me there. So there you go. And okay, so, I'll, end on, I'll end on one thing. I was in New York last week. And I had an amazing experience. So for anybody listening who happens to be in New York City now, soon, I went to a fantastic restaurant called Red Rooster in Harlem. And me and my friends who were there, we were there at a conference, there's four of us, all came out with the same conclusion. This is the, some of the best food we've ever had. The tastes were unique. The service was fantastic. And the vibe was excellent. So uh, Red Rooster, I'll put a link to it. I highly recommend Oh, good. Head up to, uh, I think it's at 130th, 135th Street. Uh, so it's a bit of a hike. Uh, but, um, you know, run, don't walk next time you're in New York and looking for a great food experience, Red Rooster. So there's my reco for anybody go to New York City. Well, that's the, uh, that's the episode. Uh, thanks for joining me on the mic, making time uh, to do this. I'm Michael LeBlanc, podcaster, keynote speaker, consumer growth expert, and you are? I'm the food professor and Michael LeBlanc sidekick. <laughs> All right, everybody. Sylvain, safe travels back home uh, to Ottawa and then back home. And I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.